Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Now let's start the show. show. Step out of the cold, cold. We come from the cold, cold. To the top of the cold, cold. The pips and the holes, holes. The folks and the stones, stones. Whoever you ride for, we back for some more. Get back. Welcome to episode 43 of Conversations, where we sit down with actors and directors, or filmmakers, I should just say, and we have one-on-one conversations, and today we have uh, what I think is a very interesting conversation with uh, writer-director Ned Benson, whose debut film is The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, which opens in theaters tomorrow. Uh, Travis Hobson and I uh, had an opportunity to sit down with him, and we're going to listen to that interview momentarily, but I want to talk a little bit about uh, Mr. Benson. Um, As you will hear in the upcoming interview, um, I think my off-the-cuff kind of non-filtered opinion or (laughs) statement kind of threw him off guard and begin the interview in a way that could have been awkward, but I think it actually worked out very well. Uh, as he warmed up to us, we warmed up to him. But, uh, you know, very interesting gentleman who I think has produced a really good film, which we will review on this show tomorrow. Now, Benson uh, grew up in New York City, um, attended uh, the Deerfield Academy in Massachusetts, and he later went to Columbia, uh, made and directed several short films, including Four Lean Hounds, uh, the Westerner, Yes, and Citation, uh, each were made uh, on a budget of $500 before directing his first feature. He worked on this film uh, for 10 years and met his leading lady, 
at, you know, at a play that he performed uh, probably about 12, 13 years ago. Jessica Chastain and, uh, you know, liked his passion. He kind of clicked and agreed that at some point they would work together. She co-stars in this film along with James McAvoy, uh, which tells the story of two couples who literally are trying to, and I think the film does a good job with that, and I won't leak it here either, uh, tell the story of a man and a woman who seemingly so in love find their marriage is shaken to the core when life throws them a devastating curve. Now, this New York couple must try to understand each other as they cope with loss and attempt to reclaim the life and love that they once had. Uh, as I said, the film is called The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, and here is our conversation with the uh, writer and director of this film, Ned Benson. How are you doing today, man? I'm hanging in. How are you guys doing? Why are you looking intense, man? Intense? Yeah, you should be enjoying this process, man. You, you produce an amazing movie. Well, that's so nice of you to say. You know? <laughs> I think when you spent 10 years on something and then all of a sudden there's like an instant where everybody starts having opinions about it, it's always an interesting process. And I think that's the cool thing about movies is, you know, it's a subjective experience for every viewer. You know? I was going to ask you about that because this movie has been in the works for a long time, you know, and has, has Jessica been attached since the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. She seems like she's been really involved with it, kind of. Has she been, was she part of the creative process, too? Well, I met Jessica 11 years ago when I had my first short film, which wasn't very good, uh, <coughs> at, a, at a film festival in Los Angeles that she won tickets to through public radio, through NPR. Oh, wow. Really? And she decides to go to the shorts program, and there are like 12 people in the audience, and all 12 of them are the filmmakers of the films that like <laughs> are being played, and like their moms are like, you know, right, 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 right. The film. And I like walk out into the lobby, and this girl comes running up to me, and she's like, "Did you just write and direct that film?" And I was like, "Yeah." And she was like, "I want to work with you." And I was like. Why, you know? Uh, but <laughs> she she basically was my first fan, and she wow. she just graduated from Juilliard. She'd done an episode of ER that was her reel, hmm. and we became friends. And she invited me to see this play she did with David Strathairn called Rodney's Wife in New York. Mm-hmm. And I went and saw, it and like she walked on stage, and I was like, damn, like this girl is special. Like she's just special. Yeah. Um, so we became friends, and we actually were in a relationship together. And I gave her the him part of the script because I wrote the him part of the script first. Mm-hmm. And I gave her that script, and then she started asking me these questions about Eleanor Rigby and who she was and where she go, and and that just sort of because we were in sort of this context, and because I wanted to write a movie about relationships, I thought, well, why not show both sides of a relationship? What better way? to make a love story than show the male and the female perspective. Right. So, I wrote that. Uh, it was 223 pages. You had an untested first-time director, uh, an actress who'd just gotten the Terry Malick movie, mm-hmm. and uh, a first-time producer who's one of my best friends, who's the producer of the film, Cassandra, pretty much delusionally trying to make this movie. Uh, and, you know, Jessica's career sent helps. I think, you know, I started to make a living as a writer and tried unsuccessfully to make some other films, but 
you know, as uh, as things progressed, we just got this sort of snowball effect where the thousands of no's that we got, uh, you know, ultimately led to a few people who thought it was just crazy enough to try. So all it took was a few of them. And then James McAvoy, about two months before we started shooting, who I'd gone to years before, who <clears throat> passed because of the subject matter, uh, because he had a family. Um, Is that Joel? Is that Joel Edgerton? Joel was involved to yeah. a point, and then he was busy uh, okay. making with his film in the in the period that we wanted to yeah. shoot. So then we went back to James, right. and he said yes, and that locked our financing, and then I was making a movie. So. I feel like this movie, sorry to step on you. I feel like ever since I first heard about this movie, everybody's been buzzing about it. And like everybody's been talking about it. But because it has been long, been developing for so long, and considered a subject matter, uh, I would imagine that your perspective on the story would change a lot over those years. Is that what happened? Uh, did, a, did a lot kind of evolve over the course of those years? Yeah, I mean, I think, as you, you know, when you when you have a project like this that gestates for like 10 years, you change as a person, mm -hmm. you know, like as it's being put together. And some of the things that you wrote at the beginning aren't necessarily the same person that you were in the moment that you're making it. So you sort of have to reappropriate things. But I look at like the person that I was when I wrote the him script and the person that I was when I wrote the her script and, you know, how maybe, I, you know, the writing, you know, was more immature or whatever and you know you're just having to find you know ways to reappropriate it to you know the moment that you're working with but yeah you see your life in it in a weird way mm -hmm. so it, and and you know the people that i was working with lives in it like whether it was jessica or cassandra or yeah. you know jess weichler who plays the sister who's one of jessica's best friends from juilliard so. hmm. You know what was interesting to me about it? It was two things that jumped out immediately, and we, Travis and I were both at the same screening. I literally had just come out of a relationship or a friendship, and they were watching the film was almost like looking in a mirror. It was like open wounds. It was really personal, the first half of the movie, and I was sitting there, and I was really depressed. Um, it also reminded me in tone of another film that was released um, uh, a foreign language film that both he and I loved called The Broken Circle Breakdown oh, yeah, yeah, last yeah. year. And I, and I love, I think, I guess I want you to, to talk a little bit about there's so many films that are produced that are these kind of stories about love and lovers. But the tone of some of them, I think it's in a way a little subjective. Some people kind of like they love light or comedic. Some people like more of the darker tones. I come from the school that I like more realistic, darker tone stories that really delve into relationships, into that love. Is that was there was there some part of you in the writing of the script, some experience that you drew upon, or um, what was it that kind of got got that tone for you in your writing? Well, I think you know I've failed in every relationship that I've been in, you know, in some way, shape, or form, and I don't. You know, my, my question to myself was, like, I don't know what it means to love. I don't know what it means to... I do to an extent, but I don't know what it means for love to endure, you know? And that was one of the big questions that I had in making this. Like, you know, how do, how do, how do relationships work? And what happens when two people love each other and life just inserts itself in a way that you can't control? Mm -hmm. And 
I think that that's I'm I it's funny that we're talking about this because I met somebody like a month and a half ago and it's the first thing I've sort of been really excited about in about three years. Mm-hmm. And like it's really exciting. But I remember like last night I'm in my hotel room and like we had our first like serious conversation. You know, it was like one of those things where I like I I just got serious for a second. I was like, Look, this is amazing but I just want to enjoy it because, you know, like we should, we just need to be responsible and careful and, you know, like, but it's like this, this thing in you that worries about the future, that worries about, and it just, it put this sort of realistic tone on what was the sort of blissful mm-hmm. month or whatever it's been. Yeah. And, and it, I, I sort of was like, that's all fine and good, but I think love is this thing that's much further down the road. Love is like the last moments of this movie yeah. where you realize that in hindsight you look back at your life and, and love evolves in such a weird way. You know, yeah. It has so many facets and it, 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 whether you're together or not, like you, know, you said you've gone through a breakup and you know, that, that love changes into, you know, it has you turn it into different things and then ultimately you get to a space where you're like, oh, well, that person's a huge part of my life and is part of one, one of the, the love stories within my life. And, you know, I just sort of wanted to show the, the timelessness and the fact that these people will always be following each other whether, mm. you know, they, they depend, you know, whether they're together or not. So. Talk to me about the decision to to kind of do this this third version, them, mm-hmm. uh, because it was originally supposed to just be the his and hers. Mm-hmm. What made you decide you wanted to do sort of a more neutral perspective, although I think there's still elements of a little bit of both in there? Yeah, but definitely. Talk about that decision to do that. Well, I think, look, I'm dealing with heavy subject matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, my initial project was three hours and ten minutes long in the two parts that it was, which is an ask. You know, certain moviegoers are willing to go see that and others are not so not that making the them version would take away the 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 weight of what i was dealing with or the heaviness of the subject matter but you know perhaps it would give people another option you know to see a a third perspective which is ultimately i think an outsider's perspective of this relationship as opposed to these two separate subjective experiences of his or hers um and it was as I had this 223-page script, you know, that I was trying to make, and even when we were in an editorial and when we had this, like, version that we sent to Toronto a year ago, um, people were constantly asking me, is there a combined version? You know, is there a version of this that is, like, a two-hour, like, love story between the two of them? And I think in order to get to where we did with the the two-part thing, we sort of had to be, you know, steadfast with that idea, but it ultimately... After the film got bought, you know, in subsequent conversations, we started to talk about how to release it mm-hmm. and how does it come out and, you know, does one person go see him, does one person go see her, right. like how do we do this and you, do we see do you see them together, can they exist without each other and that ultimately led to me being like, well, why don't I sit in a room and see if it's even possible. So I sat with my editor, Chrissy Bowden, who did the other two and my producer and the assistant editor. And we, we we started cutting, and you know, within a couple of days, we saw that there was a third movie there that was possible. Um, so we did that, you know, and, and it gives just another version or way of seeing it that maybe exists within a two-hour time frame as opposed to the three-hour frame, but also has its own rhythm mm-hmm. and exists on its own. And 
you know, can be seen in this way where it, it you start with it and you can expand into the other two and learn more about the other characters and, you know, those very subjective viewpoints. So. Now, Chastain and McAvoy are absolutely amazing. Um, now, you said Jessica was attached to this from the very beginning, um, and you brought in McAvoy late. Um, from a chemistry standpoint, because chemistry is not something you can just create. It has to either be there or not. How, how soon did you know that the two of them could actually work, or did you know, or was it a happy accident when you put them together with the screenplay? I mean, look, initially when I... You know, Jessica and I are talking about, you know, with Cassandra, you know, who we'd like to play this role. James was one of the ideas because I think there's an innate charm that he has. There's a there's a, a levity to just who he is and his character. Um, and, um, you know, so I, I went because of who he was because I thought he was appropriate for this character. And I think he's obviously incredibly talented. But um, I didn't know whether that chemistry would would be there. I think, you know, when you make these things, you're trying to make them and you, you, you hope that the chemistry will be there. I know when James signed on, he and Jessica were both in London and they had a lunch together without me because I was in the city. Uh, and then I remember when we were in rehearsal in pre-production, James got to the city and I, had, I went and grabbed a beer with her, him and Jessica. And it was like right then because they were like joking, there was like a levity. We were started to get into the scenes together and walk through the scenes and like talk through the dialogue and see what was sounding good, see what wasn't working because I have a tendency to overwrite. Um, so, you know, um, it was sort of then I was like, yeah, like this is going to be good. And then, you know, you don't know just based on rehearsal, but as soon as like you're, you're in a scene with the two of them, uh, you know, you know, like it's, yeah. it, it gets there. You see, you see this thing happen, and for me, you know, the the earlier scenes between the two of them in the film, especially in his film, are there's a lot of discord, uh, and we shot those on the early side, so I didn't get to see the chemistry so much in terms of them connecting. But the one moment I remember we shot on the early side is there's a scene of them after he gets hit by the cab, and they're sitting on a curb together before he gets taken in the ambulance and I just like saw the entire relationship there mm-hmm. because like for me the whole story exists in subtext you know mm-hmm. it's not like a lot has happened outside of this movie and we're just sort of catching moments you know of these people mm-hmm. as opposed to like having this, this sort of elongated exposition of of things and I sort of wanted to shoot in that way where I feel like we're just catching moments of this these this relationship or moments of these people and trying to fill in the blanks and let their behavior dictate, you know, the story and let the acting tell the story as opposed to like me getting in the way too much. It's, it's interesting that you, you bring that up that uh that we are kind of just catching moments because, you know, kind of the the instigation for their crumb their relationship crumbling, we don't even really you know, we don't we never see it number one. We don't they don't even really talk about it all that much. You know, we kind of we get to figure it out what it is. You know, and they do talk about it eventually, but it's not something that's you know overt. It seems like it's it's something that's happened in the past, and we're seeing the, the repercussions. Was that always the plan to do it exactly that way, to to have it be just like that? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I don't want to spoil what it was no, that happened. So. No, no, of course. I think you know, in in his version of the film, there are some scenes like 
before she leaves. Mm -hmm. And those to me were as expositional as I could get in terms of like who these people are. But yeah, the design was, was sort of like let their behavior tell the story, let mm -hmm. their behavior dictate like why is she acting this way in that scene towards him? Like why is she being so cold? And you know, I always like in life when you're sort of sitting at a table in a coffee shop and like a couple sitting next to you and you know, you see the interaction and you're like, oh, they're in trouble or like, right. oh, like, you know, they're, they're in love or like whatever. You can make these assumptions based on like that behavior and I sort of mm -hmm. wanted to create scenes based in that idea as if we're like observing these moments and you know like something's gone on between these two people. Like they love each other but something's gone on and what is that? And hope that that question acts as the engine for the story. And whether I accomplish that or not, you know, just depends on the viewer. But, you know. In processing the film, Ned, um, I think one of the things, especially in light that you find out that you made three versions of the film and you kind of edited them together, edited, edited them together for them, is I, I love the actual opening scene of the film. And then after that, the way that the story kind of evolves. And I think it's very smart the way you move the story around, as Travis was saying earlier, how we really don't understand what the impetus is for what the issue is between them, but we know something's there. Um, as it relates to that, you know, I always, I always tell people, and I, you know, when we, we interview people, that you either have people who actually get it or people who really don't get it. What is it about you and your style of writing, because I heard you say earlier that you like to overwrite, is it a certain thought process of how you kind of see relationships, because we've talked a little bit about your own history, is it a little from the way you approach your narratives from a, from a writing standpoint, from watching lots of films, or how you like to, to tell a story, what is it about your style, or how would you describe the style that you use in order to employ uh, these scenes the way you have in this film? I think it's a bit of, it's a bit of both, you know. Uh, I think it's of all of the above. Uh, you know, there are obviously influences that, you know, uh, we all sort of have taste for certain films. I think a lot of it is subconscious, too, where I don't even realize, you know, what it is that's influenced me, which sometimes is the best because then you're not imitating as much. Um, but, I, you know, I always, I always have, like, the, the less, the less information you give up front, the, the better for me. It's like I want to, as a viewer, I sort of want to like figure out the story on my own or to be t as opposed to be told what the mm -hmm. story is or to be told who these people are. I like that in, in seeing a film, I like the, the process of discovery. You know, and there's something that I just try to, and I don't, that must be from the films that I've loved in the past, you know, where I feel like, okay, this is a slow unfolding, you know, of who these people are. I love character studies. I love actors, you know, like I love acting as a medium because I think it's such an interesting art form because it's the closest thing we have to somebody imitating life, period, imitating another person. And painting can't. Painting can, you know, give a point of view. A book can give a point of view and articulate things beautifully. Music can do the same thing and give you a feeling. But acting is this weird thing where it is actually a person recreating it, another person. And when they do that well, it's like mind-blowing to me. And I think... I love watching, as I said, 
looking at people in an observational way and trying to understand who they are and what makes them tick and why they behave the way they behave and, and what you know what their coping coping mechanisms are and how they deal with life because that's that's what makes a personality that's what makes a person unique um, and I think that excites me as a director to sort of you know, it's the thing I've been writing recently. It's, it, you know, it's, it's also about identity, which is a theme in this film. And you know, I, I, I like this sort of slow understanding, or I like mystery. You know, I think life is this sort of we get to know each other slowly in life. You know, we all sort of like meet each other, and I think you're interesting, and you think I'm interesting, and then ultimately we're going to learn more about each other as time goes on. And that that's interesting to me because. It's not like you're going to tell me everything about you. If you told me everything about you in five minutes, I'd be like, you're full of shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what, like, first of all, you're telling me who you are. You're not letting me figure out who you are because ultimately your actions and your behavior as we get to know each other are going to tell me who you are as opposed to you, you telling me out loud. And I feel like sometimes movies are like, I'm this and this and this is what happened and, you know, my baby died and, you know, like... It, that, that's a type of person, but, you know, I just think reality has this long way of, there's a, you know, you look at life as, as, you know, the scale of life, and, you know, some people don't realize that the love of their life is the love of their life until they're on their deathbed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Those kinds of movies are, are the kind where the things aren't explicitly spelled out, I guess. Those are tough to... To, to get studios to back, I would say. It's true. You know? And did sometimes you audiences don't like that either. Right, you know? audiences don't seem to think that either. So yeah. have you, did you, you said this, I know this movie's been around for a long time, but you know, did, did, you, did you face any of those kind of conversations with the studio actors? Like, we want this to be more explicit, more, a little bit more clear for people. Did I mean, it, any of that? I didn't really face any of that because there's not really a lot I could do, you know? It's mm -hmm. not like I could, we were such a tiny movie. You yeah. know, like Granite Weinstein is, is the distributor now, but when we were making this thing, it was like a, a ragtag little group here of friends, mm -hmm. you know, making a movie. So, um, so it's not like we could go back and do reshoots uh, yeah. to, to find that stuff, but I think we all felt pretty strongly, you know, about what we had and, you know, the people who believed in it in terms of like what it is. You know, you can't, you can't please everybody and you have to sort of like have your point of view and with it. Yeah. You actually have Bill Hader in this movie, mm -hmm. who I think is a really good performance. This he's got two films coming out this fall, and I think he's really he's showing people uh, a very different side of uh, you know f from folks who know him from SNL. Um, what was it about him that that drew that that actually attracted you and actually wanted him to be a part of this ensemble of this film? Well, it's funny because like I've always been a huge fan of his comedy. Um, but Cassandra, my producer, had worked in casting um, for Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, for a long time, worked on all of his movies. Um, and that was her idea. And she was hmm. like, I think Bill Hader would be great at this. Like, I've had him come in a few times on things, and, you know, I, I think... I think, you know, it's an idea, and, and the more I thought about it, uh, the more I felt it would be interesting, and, you know, I think with McAvoy, it seemed to to possibly make sense in sort of like this oddball kind of way, where, you know, you look at these two, and maybe 
they, they could be best friends and and um you know i didn't i didn't i sometimes you just don't know uh walking into a scene whether you know or walking into working with somebody whether you know what they can do but i remember in rehearsal like he was fantastic and then we started doing his scenes and i was just like whoa this guy's real he's like a he's a you know he's teach I hate when people are limited to an idea. You know, Bill Hader should not be limited to the idea of a comedian. He's like a, a hugely talented actor who could do whatever he wanted. He's also one of like the craziest cinephiles you've ever met. <laughs> like he knows every movie. Well, he just put on his list of two hundred movies. Yeah, that people should see. I mean, he's he's such a cinephile, and you know, we were having these cool conversations because my DP Chris Blauvelt, you know, his dad worked on Rumblefish in the camera department and his uncle was on Jaws in the camera department so we were just sort of like talking about all of that stuff because Jaws was was re-released uh, like right in the time we were shooting with him so mm-hmm. we, were, we both watched the re-release so, so um, anyway he's he's fantastic did you always intend to call it to call her Eleanor Rigby I mean was, I mean obviously that name yeah meanings for a lot of people so what was the reason behind that it was funny because when i i started writing or at least outlining um i was listening to that song (laughs) and it just like the mood of it like just infected what i was writing and that line that viola davis says like all the only people where they all come from Mm -hmm. that to me like just sort of epitomized each of the you know everybody sort of is going through their own quiet crisis everybody has their sort of own piece of grief mm-hmm. and the way that they deal with things and, and I wanted that to sort of play throughout the script so all of a sudden I was like well that's interesting like maybe that's a character <laughs> name and then it became a character name it also has this abstract reference to like my parents you know who I think are represented by all the parents in this film because my parents were baby boomers you know they grew up in you know the 60s my dad stole a TV to see the Beatles play on Ed Sullivan and got kicked out of high school for it. Um, so, you know, I'm a reflection of my parents and a reaction of my parents. And I think these characters are sort of the same thing. We sort of, I look at my parents' relationship and it has influence on all my relationships too, you know, as, as like the good and the bad. And I sort of wanted to have that as this sort of echo from the past you know, with this sort of baby boomer abstract idea with, you know, this girl who was named Eleanor Rigby because her parents, you know, met at a faux Beatles concert that never happened. All right, and of course that is our interview. I sit down, Travis Hobson and I, with uh, writer-director Ned Benson. I hope you enjoyed that interview, and make sure you tune in tomorrow uh, for our regularly, our regularly, excuse me, scheduled episode of... Um, Keeping It Real with Film Gordon, uh, Gina Prince-Bythewood, uh, who has her upcoming film, Beyond the Lights, will be our special guest, and will also preview the 18th Annual Urban World Film Fest, which launches tomorrow night in New York. Uh, as I tell you guys in closing every week, please see something good at the movies, and until tomorrow, we will talk to you soon. You enjoy your afternoon.
Just a 